Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon. Welcome, everybody. How many people here for the first time tonight? New faces, welcome to you. Welcome back to everybody else. Welcome to anybody that's joining us on Zoom for the first time. Um, I like to begin by asking you to talk to each other, to um, meet some of the other people here, to help develop a sense of community. If you come regularly, you'll start to get to know each other. And it's a central part of Buddhism to uh, have community connections with the people that you're practicing with. So um, simple uh, ice-breaking sort of intro question, um, why do you meditate? And, uh, you know, maybe that's like why you started meditating, you know, back in the 1970s, or why you are brand new to meditation, or, you know, why you're meditating today. Um, So find some people in the room that you don't know, introduce yourselves, and have a little discussion about, about your intention, your aspiration behind your meditation practice. At home, I'll throw you in breakout groups. Join one. So we'll have a period of meditation. I'll offer some instructions, um, find a way to, beginning with posture, finding a way to sit that's upright, but also relaxed so that you're not too tense in your upright posture. And as you're ready, allow your eyes to be closed. Taking a moment to settle, to release any unnecessary tension. And establishing an inner attitude of kindness, friendliness, the intention to be accepting and kind towards whatever happens in your body, your heart, your mind. Trying to let go of any ideas about what should happen during meditation. Just bring the intention to be kind towards whatever does happen, to be friendly, accepting, We begin with present time awareness, mindfulness of the body sitting, feeling the sensations of sitting. Contact with the cushion, the chair, the seat you're in. Allowing your body to breathe its own natural rhythm. No need to control the breath in any way. Just let it come and go. However, the body needs to breathe in this moment. But bring awareness to the sensations that the breath creates. Mindfulness of the breath. Buddha's instructions were quite simple. He said, breathing in, one knows, I breathe in. Breathing out, one knows, I breathe out. 
We're just receiving the natural rhythm of the breath. Spending the first few minutes with this focus of mindfulness of the breath. And when the attention gets drawn back into thinking, just acknowledge it, thinking about the future, the past, and then disengage from those thoughts. Come back to the breath. Let the thoughts be in the background. Return your awareness to the body, giving more attention to the sensations of the breath than anything else.
investigating the experience in the body, non-judgmental, present-time, kind awareness of the impermanent nature of sensation. And as the awareness is drawn to sound or thought, emotion, also bringing this interest, inquiry into how it's changing, how the thoughts arise and pass, the sounds come and go. If you're new to this kind of meditation, keep returning to the breath, anchor your attention. Part of what we're doing is breaking our addiction to thinking, our identification with our thoughts. Keep returning, seeing how you can choose to disengage from the emotions and thoughts in the mind and return to the sensations in the body over and over. The Buddha's instructions encourage us eventually to expand, to become more inclusive of our whole being, present time, awareness, at all of the sense doors. Smell and taste, sight and sound, sensation, emotion, thoughts, all included in the present time experience of this human condition. The experience of being includes thoughts, emotions, kind awareness, friendly, accepting, doing our best to meet anything unpleasant that's happening with friendliness, with compassion, pain in the body, difficult thoughts or feelings, doing our best to not get too attached, to let go of the pleasant experiences, let them arise and pass. Non-clinging is so much of the practice, just let go. Let go of needing this moment to be any different than it is. Radical, Acceptance of our mind, our body, just as they are in this moment.
we experience the impermanent nature of all of the sensations and emotions and thoughts. We begin to tune into what is pleasant, what is unpleasant, what is neutral in our experience as these thoughts come and go and emotions, sensations, sounds. And a central aspect of mindfulness meditation is learning to meet the unpleasant with acceptance and mercy and compassion. To let go of this natural tendency to get attached, to cling to the pleasant. seeing clearly, directly what's happening moment to moment and learning to respond wisely, non-attached appreciation of that which is pleasant, compassion towards that which is unpleasant.
spending the last couple of minutes with the intention of loving kindness, compassion towards yourself, breathing it into your heart, your mind. May I be at ease with myself just as I am with this human condition, this mind that judges and compares, feels inflated or deflated, the sensitive nervous system that's afraid of pain, craves for pleasure. I learn to accept myself just as I am. May I learn to be at ease in the midst of the reality of my life. Sending the same wish to the people that you spoke to in the beginning, the people here in the room, at home, on Zoom. May you be at ease. May you learn to accept yourself just as you are. To meet your pain with compassion, your joy with non-attached appreciation. May you Experience freedom, happiness, well-being. Extending this wish to each other and then outward in all directions, thinking of your loved ones, friends, family. Wishing for their happiness, their well-being, their ease. And then widening circles outward in all directions to all living beings, all of the people on this planet, the animals, and the sea and the sky, and the earth. May we learn to meet each other with kindness and compassion. May all beings be free from suffering and confusion. May all beings be at ease. So I invite you to reflect a little bit on where you're at in your practice, your meditation, your practice of Buddhism, where um, 
what is what is interesting you what questions you have about how to uh, work with respond to understand uh, different aspects of your life and your relationships or your relationship with your own mind or um, anything uh, tonight I'm just going to do a Q&A so reflect on if there's any questions that you have or topics that you'd like to discuss sometimes I know sometimes when I'm with my teachers, I'm like, I don't really have any questions, but I wouldn't mind a reminder about this aspect of the teaching. Uh, it's not that I haven't heard it before, but it's, it's you know, sometimes that just a refresher. Um, the last couple of years, I keep asking my teacher the same question and he keeps giving me the same answer and I still don't quite understand it. <laughs> and, but it's just that, oh, when I have the opportunity and I'm with him, um, I ask him to talk about chitta this call this teaching of of um some some aspect of consciousness that i thought i understood and then i realized i don't quite understand it <laughs> so i keep dialoguing with him about it um so any questions tonight if at home if you have questions you can raise your hand in the um uh, where is it it's in the reactions button there's a thing to raise your hand and then here you can just raise your hand in person george let's start with you yeah um so george is asking i don't know if you can hear him at home or not about um there's an instruction that's sometimes given in the sort of third foundation of mindfulness which is bring your awareness to your mind and then label or note what's happening in your mind and he's saying like well planning that's happening <laughs> that's one of the labels um and what are some of the other ones well the, the uh, one of the main things that our minds is doing is planning and remembering so sometimes when you're sitting here and it's a memory um and, and those are kind of general labels and it's just interesting to know this is a plan this is my mind either actually planning something that i think i'm going to do i think or even just fantasy uh is often planning sort of playing out of like, well, maybe I'll, this will happen or maybe that will happen. Even, even worrying is a, some form of plan, right? Worrying that this might happen in the future. Um, still, it's the mind sort of planning for the worst case scenario. <laughs> um, and then memory can be, you know, there's different, then there's the subcategories. Memory can be, resentment is often memory. As, you know, you're having this resentment, you're remembering some painful thing from the past, and then you're in the present angry about it, and it's based in memory. Um, and then some, some of our memories are quite pleasant, reminiscing. You really, the salad days, you really, your mind's telling you all of the, remember how great that was, and it's memory, but it's this reminiscing, uh, uh, romanticizing the past. The, the 80s were so cool whatever it is for you, the 90s, you know, kind of remembering um, the good old days. So those are some labels. In the third foundation, the Buddha says, uh, when your mind is craving, no, this is, this is, a, and label it, oh, this is craving. And so a lot of our plans are craving, right? If you really look at what your mind is planning for, usually pleasure, right? <laughs> this is my mind craving for some pleasant thing to happen. Or this is uh, aversion. Oh, this is my mind 
worrying about some unpleasant thing happening and how would I deal with it if that unpleasant scenario happened? Um, likewise with the past, aversion, you know, so, so those, the resentments, it's that uh, anger, ill will. Uh, and so sometimes you can get real clear, like, oh, this is ill will. My mind loves to remind me of the painful experiences and then um, sort of rehash arguments or uh, my mind would be like, you know, you really should have said. And then looking at like, what's that? Okay, it's a memory and it's, it's almost a plan. Like if I had the opportunity, but it's coming out of anger, it's coming out of, and, and then looking at under, underneath that, what is it? Oh, I was hurt. What's really going on here? Hurt. I felt wounded. I felt hurt in some way. So you can get kind of specific about some of them. Sometimes you can dig into them. Sometimes it's just up oh, planning mind. Some of the other labels I like to use, I saw the hand, but let me keep going with this. Uh, is being able to say, oh, this is a judgment, judging mind. Or when you see uh, what, what's happening here is I'm comparing, when you that, that tendency of the mind to compare ourselves to others. Oh, comparing mind, judging mind. I like to use those labels a lot. Craving, aversion. Um, sometimes you notice that sort of self, self-importance you ever had that experience when you're meditating and you kind of congratulate yourself? Be like, I'm doing really good at this shit. And be like, oh, you know, inflation, so, so, you know, self-centered or that doubt, low self-esteem that I'm like the worst meditator. I can't do this. My mind's constantly wandering and then labeling that. Oh, doubt, uh, criticism, uh, critical thoughts. So just what, you know, the more we watch the mind, the more we get kind of specific or, and, and more intimate uh, with those different mind states that are coming. And ultimately labeling them is cool because it's inventorying how the mind is doing all that shit all by itself. And just being, oh, and if you can get that sense of interest and um, lightness around it and just being like, oh, yep, judgment and fear and craving and lust and anger and watching the show rather than I am angry and I am lustful and I am afraid. Those are just arising and passing. You see the impermanent nature of thought and labeling can really help that little shift away from this is who I am to this is what my mind is experiencing. Maybe more than you wanted, but all of those the awareness of all of those different specifics and I found it took a long time in meditation to get real clear about what was happening in my mind like I needed that um, I said this at the retreat this weekend you know those charts um, maybe at the psychologist or at rehab or doctor or whatever they have all the different faces of the different kinds of emotions it's like this is happy this is sad this is angry this is afraid I felt like that in my own meditation practice of like, I don't know what I feel until I started to get more the kind of subtle awareness of, oh, this is anger. This is what anger feels like in my mind. This is sadness. This is, uh, this is joy. Oh, wow. This is what joy feels like in my mind. Because um, I, I mostly gave the sort of difficult mind experiences, also labeling like in the fourth foundation of mindfulness, the Buddha says, when your mind is tranquil, know it. Oh, this is tranquility. Be mind, name, label that. This is joy. This is rapture. This is all of these like positive emotions that come sometimes too. 
also pay attention to those. It's not all judging, criticizing. In the beginning, for me, it felt like all judging and criticizing and fear. But then after some years of meditation, I started to see, oh, actually, my mind's quite peaceful right now. My, actually, there's quite a bit of happiness in my, in my mind, in my heart. Let me also pay attention to that, if that's what's happening. Take one at home, and then I'll come to you, James. Uh, Sam, go ahead. Thanks, Noah. Um, I have a, uh, a two-part question. Um, one thing that I've been experiencing while I've been meditating is paying attention to the breath. It's been hard to separate paying attention to controlling the breath. Mm -hmm. um, that's my, that's like my first question. My second question is, do you have any more instructions about how to develop compassion for your own pain and, and um, feelings? You, you give that instruction a lot to approach it with compassion. Could you get a little bit more specific about how? Sure. sure. Can everybody hear the question in here? Yeah. Um, so with the breath, it's common when you bring awareness to your breath to feel like I'm controlling it, I'm breathing in some way or another. And I do give that encouragement to say, let your body breathe all by itself. But just bringing attention to it feels like, well, am I letting it breathe by itself or is it, am I, am, am I choosing? Uh, it's uh, common to feel that way. So mostly don't worry about it. If it feels like you're controlling it, fine. Just accept that and just keep paying attention. Um, and you may, maybe at some point you'll feel like uh, you'll have that experience of feeling like there's just awareness and the body's breathing all by itself. And there's not a kind of... Uh, intentional, I'm not choosing to breathe in and out. The body is just breathing in and out all by itself. So, but until that happens, don't worry about it. If it feels like I'm, I'm the breather, I'm controlling the breath, that's okay. It's common to feel that way. Is that good enough? Does that make sense? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. for compassion, one of the ways that we, create it is through the repetition of the phrases. May I learn to meet myself with compassion. May I be free from suffering. So some of it is just setting the intention. Is um, It's just directing the, the status quo, the normal way that we human beings are wired is to meet our pain with aversion. Hating pain, normal. Compassion, abnormal. <laughs> Not, you know, it's not, we're not wired to be friendly towards our pain. So all we, you know, are doing is saying, can I try to accept it? You've heard me say this before. First, it's just tolerant, tolerance, rather than aversion and getting up and not sitting still and trying to avoid the pain, turning towards it and investigating it with the intention to be friendly, to be kind, rather than judgmental, angry, aversive towards our pain. Some of the compassion repetition, the phrases, may I learn to meet this pain with kindness? May I learn to meet this pain with compassion? My own experience is that it took me years of, of sitting with aversion to pain and not having much compassion for it. Um, but what I saw was that slowly my uh, um, tolerance of pain was increasing. Like it was easier to be uncomfortable. In the, my early years of meditation, I felt like this is so, it's hard to be uncomfortable. I hate it. I'm not good at being with it. But then after some years of sitting, 
I was like, oh, actually, I've gone from total aversion to tolerance with aversion. <laughs> and then slowly from tolerance uh, with less aversion, tolerance with acceptance, what you've heard me talk about uh, as mercy, having mercy towards the pain, not meeting it with aversion, but not quite in the compassion yet. And that it took, you know, my experience was some years of continuing to try to be kind and fail and try to be kind and fail and try to be kind and fail. And then oh, actually I have a little bit of kindness towards my pain, a little bit of compassion. Decades into practice before I felt like I was very good at really being able to hold my own pain with compassion. It's a really long-term process and it's because it's um it's you know, different reasons for different of us and some of it's our personal conditioning but a lot of it is just that this is counter to our instincts everything in our survival instinct is saying this is unpleasant hate it don't be kind to it hate it it's going to kill you your survival instinct says fight flight freeze you know and so we're doing this really radical thing that says, I'm, I'm going to not fight this pain. I'm going to try to accept it. I'm going to not hate this pain. I'm going to try to be friendly, kind, and loving to it, which many of us are quite good at doing for other people, good at being with other people's pain, but internally, it's, it's really radical. It's one of the reasons why the Buddha said, uh, this is a path that goes against the normal human condition and against the stream. And he said, you know, humanity is just born into aversion to pain. Compassion, good luck. Really hard to develop that true, loving, kind compassion, but possible. Possible with long-term training of our heart and mind to be compassionate. It's not something we can just decide to be. We can put it on our bumper sticker. We can print it on our t-shirts. <laughs> We can do all of that, you know, we can do some cool memes on social media about compassion, but to really embody it, to really have that true experience of I'm in pain and I'm meeting it with love and friendliness, which is counter to what my whole uh, survive, my whole nervous system wants to reject the pain, but I'm bringing this friendliness to it. Long-term practice. So don't, you know, um, don't worry about doing it wrong. And there's, it's, it's sort of fake it till you make it. It's keep setting that intention, keep with that humility of like, I'm trying and I can't really do it. I'm trying and I can't really do it. And then you'll find at some point oh, I'm trying and it actually feels genuine. I'm starting to learn how to be kind to myself. And for most of us, it takes a really long time. Some of you maybe not as long, but for most of us, I feel like what we're being asked to do is really radical and takes a long time. And perseverance. And you know, what I think is true is that um, it'll never happen all by itself without perseverance. Um, it's like saying, you know, I wanna get in shape, but I don't really like going to the gym. I wanna be compassionate, but I don't really like the compassion meditations. And it's like, well, you don't go to the gym, you're never going to get in shape. You don't do the repetitive exercise, you're never going to get there. You don't do the compassion meditations and constantly turn towards your pain with friendliness and be like, well, I'm not very, you know, not very strong yet. I'm going to the gym, but I still can't deadlift the, you know, thing. Um, 
but gradually it happens over the setting the intention is the most important piece i think just trying to be kind to your own pain james you had a <clears throat> thought yeah hoping you could speak a little to um, the idea of two like the two hands one being right effort and the other the terminology but like becoming in like the wrong path of like trying to um, become something and uh, not the same but it looks so similar maybe some of the signposts or anything make sure the question is about um, right effort versus what in, in Buddhism is referred to as being and becoming. And uh, where we are trying to, you know, there's this personal, I'm trying to free myself from suffering. I'm, uh, I'm trying to become compassionate, like what I'm talking about. I'm trying to become clear about what's happening in my mind. But there, then there's the, the kind of Buddhas and the Buddhist warning about, now don't get too identified with being the meditator. And this uh, anatta teaching of not self and um, the, the danger of spiritual materialism and becoming too identified with, I'm a Buddhist, I'm spiritual, I'm the uh, wisdom person, I'm the compassion person and turning, you know, letting the ego get a hold of our spiritual practice. And this effort of like, I want to meditate every day, I want to uh, go to retreats, I'm going to practice the uh, precepts, I'm going to be of service, I'm going to do all of those things without turning it into an ego trip, without letting the, the ego self get uh, identified as I am, this is who I am now. And I wear the cool beads and I got the fucking Dharma punk sweatshirt. And, you know, and that's like, that's my, now it's my identity because a large part of um, Buddhism is unpacking the identification uh, of dismantling the self around being, you know, being identified with it. For the most part, I think it's an advanced practice that most of us don't have to worry about for a while. It's said that the um, identification with our personality being uh, Sakaya Diti, the, the personality view and that um, doesn't leave us until the first level of enlightenment, uh, stream entry. So depending on where you're at, you know, knowing you and a couple of years into serious practice and doing retreats, I know, you know, we listen to the monks, we listen to the teachings, it's part of the teachings. My own feeling is, don't worry about it too much yet. Be as identified as you need to be with putting the effort into, I meditate, I'm a Buddhist, I'm, you know, part of this Sangha, all of those things. It's not the worst thing to be identified with for now. One of the images that's used, you've probably heard it, is that like being a Buddhist or uh, the effort, it's like we're drowning in the, we call it the sea of samsara, 
the world of craving and materialism and you know attachment to sense pleasures and addiction all we're drowning in the sea of samsara and then the dharma is a raft and it's a raft that we grasp onto like you know here is the four noble truths here's the eightfold path here's a community of people that will support you here's your meditation instructions cling to that fucking thing because it will save your life effort meditate every day go to retreats be of service practice the precepts make amends you know all of those pre, uh, principles that we have at some point when the raft has taken you to shore you're no longer suffering as intensely as you used to you know for us we're sober we're doing good you don't have to then and you're you know you've escaped the you're, you're no longer in uh, uh danger of drowning you you know you've got your practice you've got your you've developed a little bit of compassion a little bit of wisdom the image is now you don't need to take that raft because you're at shore and carry it around with you and show everybody check out my raft this raft saved my fucking life and for the rest of your life walking around with a raft on your head and people are like, why the fuck? You're not like, why are you walking around with a raft on your head? Because this raft saved my life. Put it down. You don't need to become that. Uh, it doesn't need to become your identity. A couple of weeks ago, you probably maybe were here. Um, I gave a talk about rather than being a good Buddhist, just be a good person. Let our goal be to be kind and loving and rather than becoming i am this spiritual i've heard i've sometimes talked about this i heard it talked about as there's three phases to spiritual practice one is i am a suffering human being seeking a spiritual experience and you know it's where we start and then there can be this shift to actually i'm this spiritual i'm this being of consciousness that's experiencing this mind and i'm a spiritual being having this temporary human experience and that's part of the becoming that identifying identification with i am the spiritual being having this transient human experience the third phase is a not understanding not self understanding this is just the human condition experiencing itself and there's no me in here really ultimately on the relative yes i'm my personality you're yours you have your body but ultimately show me the self in there where is it we can't find it and so what i think what you're asking is this buddhist uh encouragement to be careful with becoming too identified with the effort that you're putting in becoming too identified with being the, the, the soul or the spirit or any of that stuff. It's a uh, mistaken identity again. <laughs> They're just the human condition experiencing itself and us, you know, we have our karma and we're playing out our karma and we're purifying our karma. But there's a real trap in the kind of the ego wants to own it i and then the comparing there's even a place in the in the teachings where the buddha says it's about conceit the conceit of i am he said it's you know it's suffering 
to feel like I am uh, superior to, to you, to others. I'm, I'm superior to you in that inflated ego sense, which we can do around spirituality. I'm spiritual. Everyone else is asleep. We're the awakened few. Everyone else ignorant. Inflation or the deflation. I'm less than. I don't know anything. I'm ignorant. I'm unworthy. Uh, and that also uh, self-hatred and low self-esteem is conceit. It's the conceit of I am, and it comes from that comparing mind. And this is the place that really can throw us. He says also the feeling of I am equal to you. We are all equal. And I have, you know, belong just as much as you do. On the relative level, I'm all for, of course, equality, everyone. But on that becoming, the Buddha says, be careful for that identification of I am and the comparing mind tendency to think I'm this separate entity that is equal to your separate entity. Lack of understanding that there's an interconnectedness of all of us and that the separateness is delusion. Again, it's a little esoteric, I think a little advanced for most of our practice, but it's good to know. <laughs> yeah, please. So uh, for those of you at home, the question is about, you know, when we're here and we're on the path and we're meditating, but then um, we experience the, the memories or maybe experiences in our life that bring back the old traumas, pains, difficulties. It sounded like also maybe some of the old joys, you know, some of it was about appreciation and um, well, the past is gone, of course, except for it completely lives in our mind. And that actually when we're experiencing those memories, whether they're painful or pleasant memories, uh, we're experiencing here in the present. They're ac it's actually not gone at all. It's right here, the memory, and it can create all of the feelings and we can re-experience really painful things from the past or really pleasant uh, things from the past. So, so much of mindfulness is tending to what's happening right now. What are the feelings that are here right now? Whether it doesn't mean necessarily that um, there's something that is happening right now that's creating that, it's just a memory that's creating it. But that memory is here. It's present time experience of remembering a painful thing that happened or a pleasant thing that happened. And so, so much of our mindfulness is tending to it. As I said in the instructions tonight, can I meet this with compassion? And as I was just um, talking with Sam about, sometimes the answer is no, I can't yet. So now I just have to, you know, reprocess it, refeel it, maybe talk about it. I'm not there yet to meet the painful 
traumatic experiences of my past with compassion, but I'm going to keep trying because they're going to keep coming up until you do. And so we have the practices, the aspiration, may I learn to meet this with compassion, the forgiveness practices, may I learn to forgive myself or the people who hurt me in the past, may I ask for forgiveness uh, to the people that I hurt in the past, because sometimes those memories are just as strong, the guilt, the regret, shame. Um, so the forgiveness meditation is, in my experience, very central to dealing with the unskillful and painful parts of our life that our mind will keep reminding us about forgiveness. I forgive you as much as I can. Please forgive me for the ways that I've caused harm. And that will create some internal space around it, some neural pathways of compassion and forgiveness. And likewise with um, the pleasant memories and that kind of tendency to reminisce of, you know, the, the romance or the kind of honeymoon in that relationship. And it was so beautiful and we were so in love. What the fuck happened? Impermanence happened, <laughs> you know, or whatever it was. Being able to meet those pleasant memories with that, like yeah, that actually was joy. That actually was a beautiful experience. Now the mind's craving to reproduce it and we don't get to, we have to let go. Right now it's like this. It's not the honeymoon anymore. It's not the, you know, it's not the joy that it used to be. It's not the 1980s anymore. Punk rock is not the same. <laughs> or whatever it is that you're stuck in. Obviously, I'm stuck in the 80s. You might be stuck in 2015. <laughs> I hope that's a little bit helpful. Yeah. Take one online and then come back to the room. B, go ahead. You have to unmute yourself down at the bottom left in your screen. There we go. There you go. There we go. Uh, first time on here. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. Um, it felt really good to meditate, felt really good to sit down for a second. Um, I, if I have a really heavy heart, um, I'm, I am going to a funeral, um, this coming weekend, most likely is what I'm being told. And, um. I, I guess it's, it's, um, I guess, what is your experience with the expectation or maybe not the expectation, but the, uh, after receiving the information that that news is likely potentially and sitting at the same time, because it, it does feel like there is a struggle, um, and there's, you know, it's, there's been a lot of crying up until, like, up until the point of sitting down. So it does feel uh, like the energy is very different up until, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it very much feels like this very, uh, very fast force and then, like, a sudden stop. Mm -hmm. uh, do you have experience with that? If you do, what was your experience with that? 
Um, I want to speak to it. I have a little bit of, of some experience with death and loss. And I want to speak to it a little bit more in a general way around what Buddhism teaches us about it and encourages. Like in the meditation tonight, one of the main things that I'm asking us to look at and that Buddhism asks, asks us to look at in our direct experience is impermanence. Even just with the breath, how each breath is different and how every thought is arising and passing and how every emotion is. And impermanence is um, one of the irrefutable laws of the universe from a Buddhist perspective. Everything and everyone is impermanent, including ourselves. Uh, in the first foundation of mindfulness, after the instructions of mindfulness of breath and body, is uh, a, a reflection on death, uh, 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 an encouragement to turn towards our own impermanent sensations and emotions and thoughts, and then remember that this body itself is impermanent. And we take that reflection from the understanding that we are subject to old age, and maybe old age, but definitely sickness and death. And that this is universal for us and for everyone that we know. We live in this world of impermanence and this world of death. Now, there's something maybe natural about our human survival instinct that kind of goes into denial about it. Kind of doesn't really look at it, doesn't really. And it's one of the reasons why the Buddha says meditate on death every day. Turn towards it, acknowledge it, make it part of your daily meditation practice. In Buddhism, there's uh, five daily reflections that we're encouraged to do that I offer sometimes in here. And the first one is, uh, I am uh, subject to uh, aging. I'm not exempt from aging. I live in this body of impermanence that is, you know, aging. I'm subject to sickness. I'm not exempt from illnesses, diseases, injuries, you know, the kind of frailty of the human condition. Subject to death, not exempt from death. Death is certain. Uh, this life is going to be impermanent for sure. Don't know when, but what we know is that we are, we're all going to die. And the, and the um, fourth and fifth are about um, attachment and the kind of understanding that everything that I'm attached to, that I love, that I think that I own, that I think that I get to keep, my stuff, my relationships, the people, places uh, I'll be separated from, impermanent nothing get we don't get to keep any of it and the um fifth one is that the only thing that we truly own is our karma the only thing that you know if reincarnation is you know what, what buddhism understands is that there's reincarnation and what reincarnates your karma what do you take with you how you have behaved in this lifetime that's it none of your stuff none of your friends none of your family just the energy of karma karmic momentum that you've created, that's it. So the reason I say that around impending death is because the more I've um, practiced that, the more I've come into acceptance of my own mortality and the mortality and the impermanence of everyone that I know. That having been said, grief is healthy. You know, and talking about you get the news and you're crying. And my sense is that in this world of impermanence, no matter how much wisdom you have around it, still, when you love somebody and they're dying or they have died, sadness, grief is the totally appropriate, healthy response to it. Let the tears come through. Don't do this sort of spiritual bypass where you're like, well, everybody's impermanent, so I'm not supposed to feel sad about it. 
Of course, yeah, everybody's impermanent and it's fucking sad because we love each other and we get attached to each other. And theoretically, could you be so non-attached that maybe, but probably, you know, the humility is we're not there. We're in a place where I'm attached and it's quite painful to experience that loss. And I'm going to try to meet it with as much compassion, try to meet it with as much, you know, uh, healthy grief rather than neurotic grief. I do feel like there's a, a healthy sense of sadness that comes through around death. And then sometimes when we really are fighting reality and we're really denying like this shouldn't happen, it shouldn't be like this, people shouldn't die. Kind of ever catch yourself thinking that stuff and being like, what the fuck am I thinking? Of course people die, but it doesn't feel uh, fair. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't, you know, then we get into stuff like they were too young or they were too... My father, who did a lot of work with death and dying, said even sometimes the, you know, very elderly people in their 90s dying would say things like, why me? (laughs) Then there's just something about our survival instinct that's like, you know, I, I, you know, we want to hold it. We don't just, it's so hard to accept our own death and other people's death. Um. Part of what we're doing in the Dharma is learning to be more accepting, learning to be more understanding, but still compassionate with the sadness. Let the grief come through. We don't want to deny it or avoid it or ignore it. Was there another hand in the room? Very simple. Yeah, we'll go in the back with Max. Um, Can we talk a little bit about equanimity? Equanimity. Yes. Equanimousness. In the the context of um, being easily hurt and offended by others, Hmm. I get that mental calmness and evenness, you know, um, in the midst of, you know, the trials and tribulations and, and people. My, my, could you hear at home the question? Uh, question about equanimity uh, in relationship to being um, sensitive or easily offended, um, or maybe not even easily, but, but offended and taking personal other people's behavior. It's hard. Some of the Buddhist teachings that are helpful is um, learning to not take ourselves so personally and looking at that, you know, a little bit what I was talking about earlier with James, the identity of I, me, mine. Part of the inquiry is like, well, what am I defending? What What is it in here that I'm trying to protect? What is it um, that is uh, unwilling to tolerate uh, slights or annoyances or offensive people? What are, why is there so much, um, why is it so hard to deal with difficult situations? So part of it is the more we become compassionate and, and the less we become so identified with I, me, mine, then it becomes a bit easier to not take other people so stuff so personally. 
So some of it's around that investigation of how identified we are with a self. And that's a little bit of an ultimate goal. On the relative level, we wanna have good boundaries. And it's absolutely appropriate sometimes to confront people and say, you know, that behavior is not okay. <laughs> not that confronting somebody is gonna make them stop, might actually make it worse. Boundaries, being able to separate ourselves from those situations when we can. This one's, I think, maybe the most useful, but the most difficult. And maybe it's around equanimity, which is if we can see when people are being uh, unskillful, harmful, offensive, if we can see what's going on for them and actually have compassion. Um, there's that simple term, hurt people, hurt people. If we can see the hurt or the confusion, the ignorance, the uh, that's coming through that person that's offending us and actually have compassion for them. Be like, um, wow, it's so difficult to be around this person. It must be really difficult to be this person and actually try to have some compassion for them. So difficult to tolerate. This person is actually being unskillful, saying offensive things, harmful things, judgmental, critical, to actually have compassion for that person and the harm that they're causing, not just to us, but to themselves. So that understand, part of the equanimity is understanding karma. All beings are responsible for their own happiness, have their own karma. Nobody's happiness is dependent on my wishes for them. Everyone's happiness is dependent on their own actions. So when somebody's acting in a way that is unwise, offensive, what you know is they're creating a bunch of negative karma for themselves. If we can get there, to actually have compassion, like, oh, this poor sick bastard is creating all of this suffering for themselves, behaving in this way, rather than uh, I'm going to punish them or I'm going to defend this self of mine uh, and, and, uh, and suffer at them, suffer with them, equanimity of, I've got my own karma, I have my own practice, and I'm responsible for my happiness in this situation. Can I meet it with compassion? Can I meet it with forgiveness? And seeing them, they're responsible for their actions in this situation. Can I have some compassion for them? Ultimately, we want to try to get there. And it's so challenging, so hard in that moment where we're just in that reactive, go fuck yourself. How dare you? But wanting to come back to, oh, wow, this person's really hurting right now. When we're hurting, when we're confused, we spill that out onto the people around us. When it's being spilled onto you, it's really hard to see, oh, this person is suffering. We get so kind of affected by it. Ultimately, we do want to try to remember compassion for the people that are hurting us because they're hurting us because they're hurt, because they're confused, confused in some way, ignorant in some way. When we're, not, when we're coming from wisdom, we don't hurt each other. We, we, know we come from love and kindness. And, and when we're not coming from love and kindness, we're coming from ignorance. So if we can see that, it helps us to not take it so personally, to actually have compassion. The Buddha used a really extreme example. He said, if you practice loving kindness, if you've truly embodied these teachings, even if you're attacked and they are 
you know, sawing off your limbs. You will radiate only love and kindness to the attacker. You will not let hatred enter your heart because you will see the confused, ignorant being that is creating a hell of karma for themselves. And you will meet them with love and compassion. Now, it's not a very good self-defense strategy. <laughs> My own opinion is, um, you know, if they're attacking you, like fucking kick them in the nuts first, then meet them with loving kindness. Um, don't let them saw off your arms. <laughs> but if they get you down and you can't get away and they're saying, sawing off your arms, don't die in hatred. Die with love and compassion and forgiveness. <laughs> Person, you know, I know Buddhism was ultimately completely nonviolent, but I personally feel like there's a place for some self-defense. <laughs> you don't want to become such a pacifist that we're, you know, kind of doormats to people, boundaries, conflict, but ultimately compassion. We don't, we don't want to use equanimity and compassion and wisdom um, in some way to allow ourselves to be abused. We want to have that skill when we're in unavoidable, unpleasant interactions, but when they're avoidable, fucking avoid them. When you can get yourself out of that situation, get yourself out of that situation. When you can't, compassion will change everything. Wisdom will change, you know, when you're stuck in traffic, <laughs> you know, it'll really change it. I'm going to leave it there for tonight. I know there was a couple more questions, but we ran out of time. Um, do I have any announcements? Not really, just finished, just got back today from the annual spring retreat. We had a three-day retreat up in the mountains. The next retreat will be in the fall. We'll have a seven-day silent meditation retreat in September. You're all invited. Um, I'm going to do a day long, Sebastian, hold me accountable to this. I'm going to do a day long in July. I'm going to put it up for registration soon. We'll do a one day meditation day here and also join that on zoom. I'm going to schedule that in July. So, uh, we'll get that up for registration soon. Thank you for being here. Uh, the class is done against the stream is a nonprofit organization fully supported by uh, the uh, donations that you choose to give. Everybody's welcome here. No one's ever turned away for lack of ability to donate. But, um, you know, we pay a lot of rent and have a lot of expenses and uh, are totally dependent on your generosity to exist. So be as generous as you can be. Suggest a donation in the realm of $25 for a drop-in class. If you can give that, great. Uh, if you have the ability to give more, please be generous. If you don't have, you know, 20, 25 bucks to donate, you're welcome to be here anyways. Don't let money keep you away from these sort of opportunities to practice. Many people in our community um, become monthly supporters saying, I just want to support against the stream by making a monthly donation. If you're doing that, thank you for doing that. That's really helpful for us being able to pay the rent and, and uh, expenses for having a center. If you're not doing that and you feel inspired to, on the website, there's a um, place where you can say, I wanna give $25 a month or 50 or $100 every month, whether I'm coming or not, just to support the center, make it available to the people that are showing up. So please 
please consider uh, being as generous as you can. And I think James has put the donation link in the um, chat box here on Zoom. Here in person, Tara is our faithful volunteer. Thank you, Tara. She's here most Mondays and helps at the desk. And so if you want to make a donation, you can do it in the bowl or you can do Venmo or PayPal or she, she can even take credit cards or, or ATM cards or plastic. So thank you for your generosity. I think that's it. I, anything else, Sebastian? Or am I forgetting? A little housekeeping. Yeah. Um, if you guys could uh, make a small circle with some of the chairs that are here, and whatever chairs are left over, just put them against the wall. They're getting kind of beat up, so I'm stacking them so that'll help out. And uh, just be a good roommate. See something, you know, kind of tight, help tidy up a bit. Many goodness that comes from our practice and discussion of the Buddha's Dharma be gathered and shared outward in all directions. May each one of us get as free as possible in this lifetime. And together, may we create a positive change on this planet. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.